When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. The Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Bringing you the latest from the world of daily fantasy sports and gambling. So you can stop Googling how to join a squid game to cover all those parlays you thought were such a sure thing. Now, sit back and listen to one of the sharpest minds in the game. Here's your host, Dwayne Callender. Hello and welcome to the show, everybody. We've got plenty to catch up on. Obviously, the NBA Finals and Stanley Cup Final are over. We're fully into summer. I know a lot of you are victory lapping, the Warriors winning, the Avalanche winning, and the Favorites winning. Listen, I told you the Warriors series was going go deep. I didn't think it was going to be closed out as early as some of you we're saying with four games or five games, it went six. Could have gone seven, but the Warriors did what they needed to do. And as for the Stanley Cup final, the Avalanche were favored. I thought Tampa was better. I honestly thought that was the truth. But as it stood out, Vasilevsky did not have a uh, nearly the series that I thought he would have. He, he definitely looked tired. And the Avalanche won a couple of close games that could have gone either way. And so they close out in six. It is what it is. You know, that's what that's why we try to take a fine edge, but I don't think there's anything too crazy that happened in uh those finals. Uh, truth be told, like those teams were capable of winning. I just thought uh in terms of the odds, you were better off just kind of going with the underdog. Uh, just in terms of the actual value. I thought the Warriors were gonna win. But it wasn't the craziest thing in the world to bet the Boston side in six or seven games or just take the Warriors in seven or six games. And you still made money if you took the Warriors in six or seven games in that regard because of uh, the prop bets. Everyone was thinking this series was going to end early. So it is what it is. But as we stand, we're looking at baseball now uh, a bit, but. NBA free agency uh, happened. We're going to do a deep dive on NBA free agency. The Knicks did something stupid again uh, with the Jalen Brunson signing, which I called months ago when the NBA uh, playoffs were going on. I told you Brunson was paying, uh, playing for his money and that a team like the Knicks would be dumb enough to actually go for him and pay him $100 million. $100 million. I was wrong about the dollar amount. It wasn't just $100 million. They paid him $110 million. Anytime you can pay over $100 million for the 19th best point guard in the league, you got to do it, folks. You got to make it happen. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, However, NBA teams have actually made even dumber moves than what the Knicks did. So I will appreciate the Schadenfreude and just revel in the fact that there were multiple teams that have doomed themselves along with the Knicks. And we'll talk about that in, in greater detail. But for now, we'll, we'll, we'll do parse that through, 
and just say the Rudy Gobert trade might go down as the worst trade in NBA history when it's all said and done. Given the amount of value that Minnesota committed for Rudy Gobert, who literally got benched in the playoffs against a depleted Dallas Mavericks team that did not have Luka Doncic. That Rudy Gobert got five first-round picks for him. Five first-round picks. Five first-round picks. I can't get over that one. Cannot get over that trade. I thought those were protected picks. I honestly thought they were protected picks. But we'll we'll have to go into that rant another day. Because I've already started talking about it uh, for a future show. But we're not here to talk about NBA free agency right now. But we'll get to NBA free agency. Believe me, there's plenty to discuss. Because there's a lot going on with teams making moves. And of course, I have even mentioned Kevin Durant and his 292 burner accounts on Twitter. Positioning about where he should go. For his next team, now that the Brooklyn debacle with Kyrie is imploded completely, the Muppet known as Steve Nash, the head coach, is wafting in the rafter somewhere because they, I mean, they used that guy as a puppet to do whatever they wanted. This is an entire joke. We're going to do a compendium just mocking the Nets and this whole escapade. Because like I've this is like a victory lap for years that people kept saying that I was wrong about the Harden, Durant, and Kyrie mix about how it's the beginning of the end. And I was right. I was absolutely right. But I'm going to take the victory lap for another day. We got too much going on. So without much further ado, we're gonna drop the NBA talk for now because we got multiple episodes to cover. NBA free agency. That's still coming before we even get into NFL talk, which is later on in July as we start heading into training camp for August. So plenty more to come, folks. Stay tuned. But for now, we're going to talk about UFC 276 coming up tonight because we got a great pay-per-view. We've got uh, Max Holloway uh, fighting uh, a... Alexander Volkanovsky for the third time. And again, this is a rivalry that everyone's got an opinion on because it's the third fight. Volkanovsky won both fights, but myself and a number of other folks believe that Max won both fights. But we've we've got we've got the third one on tap because everyone's asking for it. And these are the two best in the world. Like that's just a simple fact of the matter. I'm not going to like disparage Volkanovski because I know how good Volk is. He he is an absolute beast. There's no getting around it. He's a freak of nature. You saw it in the Brian Ortega fight. The man is just committed to winning and he's an athletic freak of nature. You give respect to him. You you give you give the flowers to Alexander Volkanovski. These are one and two of the best in the world. Period. I don't care what you say about it. In the featherweight division, they are one and two. However you want to rank it, they are one and two. 
I don't know what Volkanovski does after this fight. If he goes up a weight class like he's been talking about and tries to go after the lightweight belt, it's certainly possible. It's certainly possible that Volkanovski, because the the dude is a former rugby player who, walking weight-wise, carries around 220. Like, the dude is my size uh, in, in terms of weight, and he's able to cut all the way down to 145. It's it's an insane feat that this guy has been able to condition himself to be able to cut down to 145. When you look at everything uh, physically, what he's able to do. Like, this matchup should be terrible for Max, but it's a testament to how good of a technical striker Max Holloway is and his foot speed that he even hangs with Volkanovski. Because realistically, this should not be, a physically, this should not be a matchup for Max Holloway to be that competitive in, truth be told. Just being perfectly honest. But as it stands, looking at this fight, and this is where I kind of look at it, and yes, I'm jumping ahead because I just want to talk about this fight. I could watch these guys fight any time of the year. They, like these guys just keep going at it. Like they could the USC could turn this into like a Super Bowl thing where they just fight each other at least once a year. Because it's that good of a fight, in my opinion. But I still think, in my opinion, and everyone's got a different opinion. I've got folks to whom I respect who thought Volkanovski won the first fight clean and the second fight Max won it. I got uh, folks that think Volk won both fights. I think uh, Max won both fights. Like, everyone's got an opinion, but they're all great fights. Everyone agrees on this. So in this third fight, what does Max Holloway have to do to win it? Volkanovski is a minus 195 favorite. This is expected to go to distance. It's plus 180 inside the distance. So obviously the odds makers are saying this is going to a decision. They, that's what they're favoring. Even the finishing odds. You got Volkanovski at plus 330. Max is at plus 550. No one's expecting Max to be able to finish Volkanovski. So if your win condition is to bet on Max at plus 165, why on earth would you ever bet Max plus 165 when the finishing odds are this poor? Now, the argument for this is Max is going to take more chances to finish Volkanovski. I hate that uh, line of logic because if Max is taking more uh, chances to finish the fight, that favors Volkanovski to be able to finish Max. He's the bigger dude. He carries around more walking weight. I give more of an edge for Volkanovski to finish the fight if Max is pressing and being in trying to be more active in trying to finish the fight because it leaves him more open to make a mistake and get caught with a big uh, with a big punch, and maybe Volkanovski is able to jump on him and finish the fight. To me, that's what it leans more towards. Is if uh, there's a mistake on Max's end by being overly aggressive in the fight, I think Max has to play for the decision. So here's the long and short of it: if you want to get a little bit different for this main event fight, because we got two main event fights. Max, realistically, is coming in at a plus 275 prop to win by decision. Max, 
again, I'm saying Max's odds are plus 165 currently to win the fight. The finishing odd prop of plus 550, it just doesn't make any sense. I don't see any way where Max gets to finish on Volkanovski. We already saw Volkanovski manage to escape submission from Brian Ortega when he had him trapped. <laughs> we had him trapped in a choke. We he had him in Ortega's best submission finish and managed to buck out of the triangle choke. Yeah, he was trapped in the T-City choke. You can go watch the video of this. I don't see how Volk gets submitted. And as good as a, of a, a striker Max is, Volk's chin just has shown he can take a punch from the federate, featherweights. He, he needs to be up a, another weight class before I start questioning Volk's chin. Like, that's the, that's the problem of it. I just don't see how this, this, uh, uh, this breaks down. Like, I think it, it's going to take, it's going to take, uh, when he moves up to lightweight, if he fights a Justin Gaethje, a Poirier, an Oliveira, it would take those types of guys to finish Volk, in my opinion, because the punching power gets much harder as you move up in weight. I just don't think Max packs enough power in his punches. As good of a puncher Max is, I don't think there's enough strength in there to finish Volkanovski. So I don't see Max getting a sub. I don't see Max getting a finish through the strikes. I just look at this as saying Max has got to win a point decision uh, a victory. And so you take the Max plus 275 as opposed to betting Max at plus 165 to win overall. Just take it by the way he's going to win by decision. If you want to bet the Max side of the equation. On the Volkanovski side, yeah, there's a chance he could finish Max if Max really does get desperate and doesn't think he can win by decision. Because, you know, even though Max has the height advantage, I'm telling you, Volk, Volk's body type, he's just a fire hydrant. So the dude is just able to strike with fellas. And that's just it. It's like, I know Max carries around weight as well. It's, I'm not saying Max is a small dude. Max is 5'11". He's able to cut down to 145 as well. I'm just saying, when you look at these two guys in the cage, Volk just comes across as the bigger, stronger dude. As wild as that sounds, even though Volk has uh, the height advantage. Like, uh, I mean, Volk, uh, Max has the height advantage. Volk has the reach advantage. It, it's just weird how uh, their body types work out, but they are athletic freaks, freaks of nature, uh, them both. Uh, like... But I just look at it as, like, I don't see this fight ending inside the distance. I think it goes to a decision. And I think you just, you look at it from the standpoint of, you know, you can bet, like, depending on how you want to play, because vote by decision, you are looking at, uh, yeah, yeah, you're looking at vote by decision plus 120, as opposed to him uh, being at minus 195 uh, to win overall, I, I think you're better off just betting the decision prop for both guys or just betting the fight goes to a decision in general, that prop being plus 180. 
I mean, I think that's just the way you kind of look at it. From a DFS perspective, it, it's a different matter because on DraftKings, Volkanovski's 9,000, Max is 7,200, and uh, on FanDuel, Volk is $22, Max is $15. From just a roster construction standpoint, it's going to be hard for Volkanovski to pay off any sort of value unless he finishes Max. It, it just There's just no way to get there without a finish. If it goes to a decision, I think Volk busts based off of some of the, the other guys on the card because I expect to finish uh, with some of these fights, like the Pereira fight and the Sean Strickland fight. I expect to finish. Uh, Sh- Sugar Sean O'Malley and Munoz. I expect to finish Jalen Turner and Brad Riddell finish. Like there should be uh, finishes in this card. I just don't think at Volk's price tag on both sites, if he can't finish Max, there's no point in playing him. And on the Max side, when you're building with him at 7,200 on DraftKings at $15, I think he's too expensive on FanDuel. Point blank, I think he's too expensive on FanDuel to play him. Based off of the odds, I think it's too expensive. On DraftKings, I get the play because you're banking on the decision win for Max and have that be your only dog, and then you go with a more balanced build with some of these price tags and bank on these other guys that you're when you go down in price to get a finish. Because I think you're going to be, if you're building with Max, you're going to be building somewhere around getting a mix of Pereira or Strickland Pick that fight, and then you're looking at like pick pick your poison between Jalen Turner and Brad Riddell, and then you're starting to go into that 8K range. I think that's the build if you're building with Max. I just don't see any pathway to get it done with Volkanovski unless he finishes Max, and I just don't see Max getting finished. So from a DFS perspective, I'm almost on the the thought process of. I'm fading Volkanovski, as crazy as that, as that sounds, because I know how good Volkanovski is at getting takedowns. He could control Max and score well from a DFS perspective. Th- that's entirely possible. But given what we've seen in both fights, I'm having a hard time getting there because I've seen between the two fights, we've got over 50 minutes of evidence between the fights that shows that Volkanovski is just not going to be able to get Max down enough and control him enough to be in an optimal lineup. I, I, I am thinking that with the ownership that you would expect out of this main event card, because everyone's going to be wanting to play this fight and then say, Hey, I got this guy. I'm thinking it leans more towards, you know, at the end of the day, it may it may make more sense to fade this fight entirely in terms of your DFS builds if you're only playing three or four lineups because I can guarantee you the public is going to be playing this fight. But if you're not playing more than five five ten lineups, it doesn't make sense in my opinion. And this is just my opinion. It doesn't make sense of playing this fight. I think you're better off fading it and trying to get different elsewhere on the card. So. Uh, let, let's, let's talk about it. Uh, the other, the other main event, we'll get it into with Israel Adesanya facing Jared Kennedy. 
I have very different thoughts on that fight, but I'll I'll definitely be getting into uh, that fight later on as that will cap off the evening. But I want to talk about the Volkanovski Holloway fight because that's the one that interests me the most on this card tonight. Although we've got some great fights at, in Vegas tonight at the T-Mobile Arena. So let's start off with the earlier uh, prelim cards because from a DFS perspective, this is what it kind of comes down to in terms of like figuring out what you're going to do. And even from a betting perspective, figuring out what fight you want to pass on and uh, wh- where we want to go. So uh, we got in the first uh, fight of the night, we got Brad Tavares uh, fighting Drikas Duplace. And Brad Tavares was originally the favorite at like minus 150. The line movement moved from, and I, I'm, I'm pulling this up here. You had Tavares was, uh, no, 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 no. He wasn't minus 150. He was minus 120. He went from minus 120 to now being plus 135. And Duplass is now a minus 165 favorite. This is the weird part. <coughs> Brad Tavares is just one of these uh, guys that, I mean, he's just kind of like there. Like, I don't see Tavares being a great striker. He's not a great wrestler either. But Duplass, he's he's been able to get uh, in all 18 of his professional fights. He's 16-2. They've all in- ended inside the distance, and he's got seven wins by KO and another nine by submission. But he's looking for neck. He's looking for uh, rear naked chokes. He's looking for strikes. He's trying to get this fight to the ground. I just think that Tavares doesn't wrestle all that much, but he has very good takedown defense. He's going to try to keep this one standing, and I think Duplass is a better striker. That's why this line moved, and I wish I had jumped on it earlier because I didn't know about this fight uh, when uh, the card first got announced. I should have been paying closer attention. I would have jumped on the number on Duplass, and I'm probably going to still be... I'm Well, truth be told, I am still on Duplass, but uh, not nearly as much as I would have been if I had known he was getting plus, uh, plus money as an underdog when this uh, line originally opened. But... The, uh, from my perspective, you got Duplass at 8K. Like, to me, he is, without question, almost... Oh, I, I just look at this as, like, I'm not saying he's a complete lock, but I am saying that he is uh, pretty much going to be on uh, the vast majority of my lineups. Just because, like, from my perspective... Uh, it just makes too much sense to have him in the lineups because I think he can get the finish, and he's he's favored. I, I think there are just more ways for Duplass to get there as opposed to the only way I can see Tavares winning this fight is by decision, which is possible if this ends up being a boring fight, but I don't necessarily see it going that way. I think... Uh, Tavares 
gets finished by Duplass, because if Duplass gets that finish, he's going to get a top 15 ranking. I think this is the last step for him uh, to get there. So I would go with, um, I would definitely go with uh, Duplass uh, uh, to, to get the job done here. But um, yeah, just from a DFS perspective, this makes more sense to kind of go with uh, uh, Duplass at 8, 8K. And the FanDuel pricing is like, this is where you have to kind of notice like your DFS site. Duplass was 8K on DraftKings. FanDuel, he's priced at 18. FanDuel, like, acknowledged Duplass is the better fighter here. If it, and I just look at this, this fight is looking to finish inside of this. It's like, I, I, I just look at, like, when has Duplass gone to a decision? He's never gone to a decision. So why would we expect that? Like, maybe Tavares catches him with something. And, and jumps on him and finishes him. You can bet on that, but I think it favors the better striker, which is Duplass. It's what Tavares does better, but I think uh, it's Tavares prefers striking, but I think he's going up against a superior striker. So to me, I'm going to base most of my DK lineups on Duplass, and I'll probably have him, you know, I'll probably run anywhere from 40 to 50 lineups. I don't think I'll max out 150. Uh, this week, even though I probably I could get away with it, I, I'm just looking at it. It's like there are so many avenues uh, that I'm not going to go too crazy with lineups, just uh, hunting for every single possibility because I think I'm different enough by not going crazy on the main event uh, lineups. So, from my standpoint, uh, I think I'll have Duplass on. Anywhere from fifteen to twenty lineups this week, it, and I'll probably run them even even more. But it, to me, Duplass just makes so much sense at AK. I just think he's probably ending up on the winner. Next fight, we have Jessica Rose Clark against Julia Stoliarenko. Uh, Rose Clark, you know, it's it's crazy. Rose Clark was plus one seventy five when this line opened. Now it's the minus 150 favorite. I don't know why Stoli Renko was favorite. Like, this card, I wish I had seen the opening lines uh, a couple of weeks ago when this card got announced and they started putting all these other car, uh, fights on. I knew Volk and Max were fighting. The undercard, they were still putting together over a couple of weeks, and I just was not playing, uh, paying close enough attention to these other, uh, these other uh, fights because... The line movement reflects just how ridiculous it, the, the idea is. Stoli Aranko, for those of you who don't know, basically all she does, and this is about as low level of women's MMA as it gets, she is a BJJ specialist, but she is a terrible striker. She doesn't wrestle well. So basically, if she can't get you down with a trip, she will just pull guard and lay on her back and entice her opponent to come down and... Just get on the ground with her, and then she'll try to pull off a submission. This is about as terrible of a play, in my opinion, from a DFS perspective, than anything else. Because all it is, is <coughs> you're waiting for uh, Soliarenko to maybe pull off a miracle armbar by her opponent being an idiot. And just uh, getting into a position where the, her arm gets caught. And then they don't know the proper escape technique 
to avoid getting caught in an armbar. Like, that's where it kind of comes down to. She's just going to play that game for 15 minutes. You're not going to get any scoring from a DFS perspective with Stoliarenko and Jessica Rose Clark, not a great striker in her own regard. I think this is one of those fights where in women's MMA, you can bet for the, uh, a decision, this to go to decision at plus 150. And... If you want to bet on Jessica Rose Clark by decision, you're basically you're getting uh, that odds at plus one twenty. Because Stoliarenko, I can't see her winning by decision. This really just comes down to can't you get the armbar or not? If she can't get the armbar, this is pretty much Rose Clark. But it, it's probably going to be as unentertaining a fight as you're going to get because again. The best way for Stoliarenko to get a submission is in the first round when there's no sweat on either fighter and it, they're dry enough where they she can pull off those submissions. Rose Clark just needs to not be uh, not to do something dumb in the first uh, five minutes of the fight, and then as the, the fight goes on, it'll be easier and easier for her to piece up Stoliarenko without having to worry about getting caught in the submission. That's where I look at. Just being uh, being on the uh, safer side as to uh, going about things. Like if if they don't get if they don't get themselves in a bad spot, they should be okay. So that's just the way I look at it. Like other than that, I'm looking to pass on this fight. I don't really have interest from a DFS perspective. I told you, uh, Rose Clark, not that impressive of a striker. Stoli Ranko. It's a one trick in terms of getting submission finishes. I I just don't see where there's going to be that much uh, they can do. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. So it it just seems to be pretty straightforward from my perspective that we'll we'll be we'll be going into uh, a, a case where you know uh, this is a pretty lackluster fight and we kind of move on. Next fight we have again, uh, you know, not the highest caliber of women's MMA. Uh, We'll just be clear on that. Is uh, Macy Barber facing off against Jessica I? So basically, long story short, with Jessica I, she is the person the UFC uses to match up against any prospect that they expect to be in the top five. Because Jessica I has lost her last five fights. They're all people in the top of the division, and they keep using her as the gatekeeper. Despite the losses. I have to think that Macy Barber, being 11 years younger, good in the clinch. I I have to think 
Barbara wins this fight. Is she dominant in this fight? I'm still not sure. Because it just feels like with these women MMA fights, the judges scoring is so suspect. If it looks close, you should bet on a split decision. In fact, the split decision prop being plus three, 380 most of these fights is one of the ways to go. Barber is minus 285. I don't feel remotely comfortable betting that. But I'm damn sure not betting Jessica I at plus 240. Because I've seen Jessica I fight <laughs> enough times over 10 years to know that this is not the fight <laughs> that you should feel confident by. Because when she loses, it's usually by a decision. When she wins, it's usually by a decision. Like, she doesn't finish anybody. She do- She doesn't really get subs. It's just like, she only wins the lowest of the low-level fights. And I have to think... That Barber, again, another fighter who basically just wins decision victories, is going to get the edge here. But it's not as though I feel great about this fight. Barber is 9100 on DraftKings. And $21 on FanDuel. I'm more of the opinion you fade, Barber. I just don't see any value in the number. I just don't see it. So, to me... This is a fade on both sides. Like, I don't see I winning this fight. And she's 7,100. If Jessica I was under 7K, if she was like 6,700 or 6,600, and the extra couple hundred got you to where you needed to be with a couple other plays, I'd be way more interested. But And by way more interested, I'd be slightly interested. Where it stands, I have zero interest. So I will probably just fade. Well, I'm I'm fading I. I will likely fade Barber as well. Moving on, we've got uh, Andre Muniz versus Uriah Hall of uh, knockout fame. <laughs> if you don't know who Uriah Hall is, YouTube him. Uh, you'll see some uh, incredible finishes. But... You know, from a middleweight standpoint, Uriah Hall has just been pretty middling in terms of his overall career. You know, a guy who can put on a flashy show, but you don't expect him to be able to uh, do the little things needed to win bigger fights. And Andre Mooney's is an up-and-coming prospect, you know, uh, Mooney's a, a third degree black belt. It, it's just, you know, as long as Mooney's gets this fight to the ground, he's going to dominate Uriah Hall. Uriah Hall cannot wrestle and he's not very good on submission, uh, uh, defense. I mean, Mooney's broke Jacare Souza's arm. Like he snapped the dude's arm. You could hear the snap on the broadcast Uh, And I don't even recommend you watch the video because I'm telling you, you heard the snap on television. It's not a, it's not a a fun sight. I I just, you know, I'm just telling you guys this 
because of that's how good Mooney's is. And Jacare is one of the gr- greatest middleweights uh, on the ground in MMA history. But that's just to show you how good Mooney's is on the ground. This is a clear cut fight. If Uriah Hall can keep it standing, he's got a shot at knocking out Mooney's. My whole thing is Mooney's is very good at getting people to the ground, whether they want it on the ground or not. And Uriah Hall does not have good takedown defense, nor does he have great submission defense. I think this is easily finishing. Uh, if it doesn't finish in the first round, it's definitely finishing in round two. Uh, like I just don't see how this doesn't go uh, uh, to a finish. So to me, this is pretty clear cut. I'm taking, uh, I'm taking Mooney's and uh, that'll be that. I, I mean, I just don't see any rationale to take uh, Uriah Hall. Uh, I mean, you could go with the puncher's chance thing, but realistically, this is pretty much Mooney's fight. I, I don't, I don't see Uriah being able to find a way to get this fight and keep this fight standing. I, I just, I don't see it. I just don't see it. And from my standpoint, the only way that this fight doesn't end, uh, this this fight doesn't end uh, like it in the short order is if. Uh, Uriah catches him with a flying knee or something crazy on an entry. It's going to be one of those fluke victories for Uriah. I don't see any other way of this uh, not ending in Mooney's getting a submission early and quickly. Um, it's really that simple. I'll be having a high percentage ownership of Mooney's on both DraftKings and FanDuel. The only question is... Does Mooney's get enough control time and strikes to pay off uh, the price tag? But I expect the first round finish here. So that's just the way I'm positioning this fight. I'll be taking props on first round finishes for uh, Mooney's. Uh, You know, it's just one of those things where when you look at uh, Mooney's uh, to get a first round KO or submission, Basically, the prop is plus 120. He's minus 190 to finish, but it's plus 120 for it to happen in the first round. That should tell you how strongly the betters feel about Andre Muniz's uh, ground game. I I just look at it like this is a clear-cut fight. I'm not going to dwell on this too much. It just depends on if, uh, if Uriah Hall can do something flashy and do something funky that Mooney's isn't expecting to get a flash finish, so be it. I'll take the loss in that regard, but I just don't see it. And, you know, it's just, it is what it is. Like, I I don't, like, I'm trying not to go too crazy with uh, overthinking potential scenarios. I just don't think Uriah Hall has that much of a puncher's chance from what I'm looking to do with my lineups. Next up. Jim Miller and, and Cowboy Donald Cerrone. Cowboy is the underdog here, plus 165 versus Jim Miller. Uh, both coming in at 170. Uh, I just think that, you know, it's just Cowboy 
didn't want to cut to 155. He's not a 170 fighter. Jim Miller slows down the longer the fight goes. This just screams first round finish. I don't see either guy making it. Like, if if anything, either Jim Miller finishes Donald Cerrone in the first round, or somehow Miller gasses out after the first round, and Cerrone manages to get the job done in the second round. Jim Miller gasses out regularly. Cerrone has no chin left at this point of his career. This fight is going to end inside the distance. I feel very confident in that. The prop is minus 225 to finish inside the distance. I think that line should probably be minus 400. I I just think that neither one of these guys, if this gets into a situation where they they get overextended, maybe that's the only way... eh, it doesn't finish, is that both guys are too tired to finish the fight. <laughs> but I just think that when Cerrone gets tired, Miller's going to be able to take him to the ground and finish him with a submission. That, like, either a submission or ground a pound. Because Cowboy just doesn't have the defense to do the job. I just don't think... Uh, I just don't think this was the way to go. Like, that's... From my perspective, this is one of the clear-cut fights where there's no getting around it where I I see this fight going to a decision. So to me, from a DFS perspective, you got Miller at 8,700, Cerrone at 7,500. I'm just going to be heavily overweight on Jim Miller and bank on uh, Cowboy Cerrone's chin giving out yet again because Cerrone has dropped five decisions. It's just very clear cut how it's it's going. So to me, this is where you, you gotta go. It's like I I just don't I just don't see it. I just don't see where the likelihood goes that this fight goes to a decision. So from my standpoint, let's uh, let's not get too cute with uh, the the thought process here. So I'm heavy on Jim Miller for fantasy purposes for DFS on both DraftKings and Fanduel. Uh, he's eighty seven hundred and twenty dollars on Fanduel. I just don't think it's worthwhile to go too crazy overall. So my my whole thinking is if. You, you go this route, you're banking on Cerrone getting finished, and the score is putting you somewhere in the neighborhood of north of 100 points uh, for a first-round finish. Just depends on if you're can if he can get Cerrone to the ground, maybe you can get an even higher score. But uh, I wouldn't necessarily... Uh, put it past that you're going to get a monster score out of Miller because Cerrone is done in my opinion. Maybe Cerrone pulls off some kind of upset. I just don't see it. I really don't see it. So you know, it's just uh, let's just be clear cut about it. Next up Ian Gary and Gabe Green 
in Gary. Uh, has looked very good in his first two fights. But the one thing I'll say with Ian Gary, he's very hittable. Gabe Green, I don't know. It, it's, uh, it looks as though, like, just from my standpoint, uh, you know, he's very hittable. He got a, a decision win against Darian Weeks. In his second fight, but he still looked very hittable. The first fight against, um, yeah, yeah, Jordan Williams, uh, he was getting pieced up in the first round and then got the knockout with one second to go in the first round. So it looks like a first round finish, but he he was kind of getting his ass kicked uh, throughout that first round. Gabe Green is probably the best fighter he's faced thus far. And it's not as though Gabe Green is. That good? He's been a solid striker, but I think he'll be throwing uh I think Gabe Green will be throwing some letter. Like so from my perspective, if we're looking at dogs to take, I'm looking at Gabe Green. And Gabe Green is a plus one fifty underdog. Inside the distance finish on this one is minus one fifty. But if you're looking at Gabe Green, the odds of him finishing are plus 350. The odds of him finishing in the first round are is uh, plus 700. My thing with Ian Gary is he's very hittable. And Gary could get a first round finish too. He, he And that his prop is plus 225. I mean, not plus 225, plus 400. I apologize. Um his finishing prop is plus 225, but his first round finish prop is plus 400 uh, for Ian Gary. My whole thing about this fight is the fact that I just think Ian Gary gets touched way too much for my liking. And as he gets higher up in the people he's fighting, he's going to get knocked out. I don't know when, but I know it's coming because he doesn't move his head. Now, is Gabe Green, the guy to get it done? I don't know. But I do know Gabe Green is decent enough as a striker that he can finish Ian Gary. I I feel like with uh, the way Ian Gary doesn't move his head that well, he can get finished. So that that's the way I got to look at this fight. Next up, to close out the prelims, we got Robbie Lawler and Brian Barbarena. Um... Listen, uh, <laughs> I like Robbie Lawler to finish Brian Barbarena, if only for the fact that Brian Barbarena is not very good. I, I, I've always looked at Brian Barbarena wondering, this guy really doesn't belong in the UFC, yet he's fought in the UFC for multiple years now. He's 8-6 and six overall in the UFC. He's always been a gatekeeper. Robbie Lawler is a class above this guy. Unless Robbie Lawler is truly done as a professional fighter. Obviously, Lawler last fought in the UFC against Nick Diaz. He pieced up Nick. Nick quit in, uh, in the fight. Nick also landed a bunch of shots on Robbie. Uh, Robbie. They were just striking. Barbarain is there to be hit. I think if uh, Robbie looks 
as sharp as he did against uh, uh, Diaz, Nick Diaz, he'll he'll finish Barbarena because Barbarena is not going to trade with his hands nearly as fast as uh, the way uh, Diaz does. He'll be able to get to uh, Barbarena quickly. So from my from my standpoint, this is not exactly the end of the world. So the way I got about it is, um, you know, you take Lawler. I don't know. So this is where it gets interesting. Robbie's uh, Robbie's props that we're normally used to seeing, he hasn't. He just hasn't been there lately. So I don't know if this is a case where maybe maybe folks are just doubting that uh, Lawler can get it done anymore. But like the way I kind of look at this is um, with uh, Lawler, he's. It's like this again. This was one of those weird lines. I could have sworn Robbie would have been a minus one fifty or uh, minus one seventy five. He's only minus one twenty. Like people actually think Brian Barbarina is going to win this fight. I don't see it. I don't see it. I just think this is a pretty decisive like gap in terms of level. Unless everyone like is like figured out like has determined that. Uh, um, that Robbie Lawler is done as a professional fighter. Like, to me, if he loses this fight to Barbarina, Robbie Lawler may as well retire. Like, I just don't... Like, Brian Barbarina is just not on the level of Robbie Lawler. It, it's it's pretty clear-cut. Like, there's just, like, a complete difference in, uh, in level. It, it's just not close. It's not close at all. So, from my perspective, the way this goes is... We take Lawler. We don't even need Lawler to finish, but I think he finishes. And the finishing prop is plus 330. I, Barbarana is there to be hit. We know Robbie is 40. I've been watching Robbie Lawler fight since I was in high school. Over 20 years ago. Like I've been watching Robbie Lawler for a long time now. I'm just saying, Brian Barbarana is nowhere even in the same neighborhood. So again, this is a... Retire if you can't win this fight kind of match. I'm just going to be heavy on Robbie Lawler. And if and if I get beat, so be it. I just I just can't go crazy over this one. So let's let's just see how how this works out. I, I you know, if I get burned with Robbie Lawler, so be it. But uh, I, I just look at it as like this is a Brian Barbarina. He's not that very good. All right, so next up, we've got Jalen Turner and Brad Riddell. All I'm saying is enjoy the fireworks because this one may not last long. Inside the distance prop is minus 250. Jalen Turner and Brad Riddell are two heavy hitters, and I don't know who's winning this fight. I'm going to have exposure to both guys in DFS. Turner is 8,400. Riddell is 7,800. $17 for Turner on FanDuel. 14 for Riddell. I'm having exposure to both fighters in on both websites. <coughs> and the only thing I'll bet here is the inside the distance prop. I have no idea who's going to win this fight because both guys can finish the other and neither result would shock me. 
they are just going to hit each other as hard as humanly possible, and someone's going to drop. Jalen Turner has an 8-inch height advantage and a 5-inch reach advantage. But they are well-balanced. Riddell's the more technical striker, and they both got power. The problem with this fight is you love seeing a fight like this because of how talented both guys are, but man, try to bet it. It's a, it's a beast trying to figure out who's going to be able to finish the other guy because I just think that this fight is going to end in the first round, most likely. Whoever gets that first big shot probably closes out the show and probably gets, out, uh, gets the uh, knockout of the night bonus for 50K. It's just one of those things. I just don't know who's winning this fight, so it's hard for me to just pick a, a guy because they both throw good volume. Uh, it's the biggest thing is that, you know, Turner um, has been knocked out a couple of times. And um, the last time was against Sweet Dreams, uh, Jemaya uh, Hill, uh, Jamal Hill, uh, like Turner got turned out like the lights went out. So to me, I think Riddell is very live. Turner obviously has the power to get it done, too. I just think this is going to be a fun fight. All right. So let's get into uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley. This is pretty clear cut. The Sugar Show UFC has been hyping up Sean O'Malley for years. We know what we're going to get. O'Malley is going to try to do something goofy. He's a minus 300 favorite. Munoz is pretty limited in terms of what I think. Um, uh, I, I I don't think Munoz is that explosive as a striker, but O'Malley is so sloppy at times that I'll have some exposure to Munoz because of his price tag on DraftKings and FanDuel. He's 6900 on DraftKings, and he's $9 on FanDuel. From, like, just... A probability standpoint, I'm not going to be playing a whole lot of underdogs on this card. So, from that standpoint, I think I'll have a couple of shares of Munoz, but I am not surprised if O'Malley finishes him in the first round. The issue is, if this gets past the first round, as the fight goes along, I like Munoz's chances of beating O'Malley better because O'Malley does get sloppy, and I think Munoz is going to be able to take him down the later the fight goes. So, Munoz could actually win by a decision. If this gets past the first round. But the thing is. O'Malley's going to throw a ton of significant strikes. He's going to keep throwing shots. At Munoz. So after the first round. If he can get it gets past there. O'Malley yes. Could he get up to 130. 140. 150 significant strikes in a fight. Yeah if it stays standing. But after that first round. Where I think O'Malley will probably clock over. 80 significant strikes. I think Munoz can legit uh, uh, get past this uh, and go through. So to me, I just think that Munoz gets live after. So this is one of those opportunities where after the first round, I would be looking at live betting this fight. I don't want to take Munoz at plus 245 because I think Munoz is going to lose that first round pretty handily um, or get finished. But if he gets past the first round, you're going to see O'Malley shoot up to like minus 700, minus 800. You'll get some ridiculous numbers because of how good he'll look in the first round. And Munoz will come in at plus 600. And that's when you lie bet him. Because I think Munoz has a chance 
the later the fight goes to get it to the ground. And if he gets O'Malley to the ground, he can actually finish O'Malley. I, I think there's a way for um, Munoz to get it done. And Munoz has a nasty guillotine. It's not remotely surprising if O'Malley gets finished by submission, in my opinion. So just be aware with the live betting potential here in this fight. Because that's where the opportunity is, in my opinion. But from a DFS perspective, yeah, I can play O'Malley at $9,300, $22 on FanDuel. But I have interest in Munoz as an underdog because I know there's not that many opportunities for underdog wins outside of a couple of fights that you're going to need to play a few more dogs because just doing balance is not going to ship you a tournament. It, like There are too many people who are going to build balance builds tonight. It's not going to get it done. So next up, we got Alex Pereira and Sean Strickland. Again, this is the e- most even fight of the card. Uh, we, you know, I just think that Strickland is a slight dog to Alex Pereira, but whoever wins this fight is fighting Adesanya next, unless somehow Kenanier pulls off the upset. Inside the distance mark is minus one ninety. None of this is surprising here. What this kind of comes down to is uh, Pereira has not fought too many guys at the upper level that Strickland has. And (laughs) I think Strickland can get Pereira to the ground. So from my standpoint, if uh, this gets into a situation where we've got Alex Pereira trying to deal with like multiple takedown attacks uh, from Strickland, I think Strickland is able to get get it done in the uh, second and third round. That's that's the way I look at it. It it comes down to can Strickland uh, like survive out of the first round? Don't get caught with anything crazy by Pereira because Pereira is going to throw strikes at unique angles and be able to pick apart Strickland throughout the fight. But it'll be worse in that first round as opposed to later on in the fight. I think later on in the fight, it'll be easier for Strickland to get this fight to the ground. As long as Strickland doesn't do anything stupid, and he does get very emotional when he fights. So this ain't the sharpest tool in the shed, folks. But with that being said, I think Strickland has a very logical pathway to victory using his wrestling, getting this fight to the ground, and getting a decision win. And the decision win prop for this fight because people expect it to finish inside the distance, you can actually get um, plus 275 for Strickland to win by decision. I don't think Pereira wins a decision unless this fight stays standing and Strickland doesn't stick to the game plan and gets picked apart the entire fight. I gotta think that Strickland, knowing that he's got a world title opportunity on his hands as long as he takes this fight to the ground, is just going to stick to the game plan and not get caught up with trying to knock out Alex Pereira. Pereira's route to victory is knocking out Strickland, which is possible. It's definitely possible. And so betting on Pereira, I would bet on him to get the finish at plus 140. That That's the way I would go. I don't like any other way for Pereira to win the fight because submission-wise, I don't like him going trying to go for a submission against the guy who can uh, reverse uh, reverse him on the ground and 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 take him out that way. I don't like Pereira taking this fight to the ground 
I think that is Strickland's game. I think Pereira keeps it standing. So to me, the way that this finish comes is just through strikes. So we'll see how it goes. But I think that's the way to kind of look at the thought process here. So that's the way I'm leaning for this fight. And, uh, you know, the the winner of this fight gets uh, the winner of this last fight, Israel Adesanya and Jared Cannonier. Jared Cannonier just loaded to the gills. Like, I mean, just as jacked as could possibly be. And then you got Israel Adesanya, the style bender. <laughs> that is a rail in a lot of places, but just such an explosive kickboxer. It just comes down to how long Izzy can keep this at distance. And I think this fight plays out just like the Joel Romero fight. Not a lot happening. Izzy just keeps him at distance and just picks him apart slowly but surely into a boring five-round decision win. I am probably fading both fighters of this last fight. The reason why is Izzy has no incentive to finish this fight. No incentive. Because trying to finish Cannoneer is just not worth it because of Cannoneer's power. I think he picks him apart at distance, and this plays out very much like the Joel Romero fight, where Joel Romero is an Olympic world-class wrestler, could not get Izzy to the ground. Jared Cannoneer is nowhere near Joel Romero level in terms of wrestling ability. I don't see it happening. I... You know, it's just, it, it it is what it is. I just look at it from the standpoint of going to a decision is the most likely route, and then it goes to Izzy. That's the only way I would bet this fight. Izzy by decision, plus 120. Could he knock out Cannoneer? Yeah. It's, it's definitely possible for Izzy to knock out Cannoneer. The value of this fight is gone. Izzy opened up at minus 375. I got on that a little bit. It's up to minus, almost minus 600 now. There is no value left on betting on Izzy at this point. So to me, this is just, let's see how it goes. But I expect this to be a decision win for Israel Adesanya. And then he fights the winner of Strickland and Alex Pereira. It's that simple. And there's a history between Pereira and Izzy. Sean uh, Strickland was getting into a Izzy at the press conference the other day. There's a lot of hype coming up for the next fight. The only question is, does Izzy get caught up with all the uh, pomp and circumstance and looks past Cannonier and gets caught with something with a big right hand to shock the world and Izzy loses the belt? That's the way Cannonier wins this fight. Outside of that, Izzy just wins by a decision and it'll be a boring, most likely boring-ass fight. That's the way I look at it. I just don't see Izzy taking any chances here. Because he doesn't need to take any chances to beat a guy like Cannonier. He can pick him apart at distance, and that's just the way the fight's going to go. He dictates how the, how this fight plays out, not Cannonier. Cannonier, I don't see him being able to, to uh, close the distance at all. I just think that this is just one of those fights where you're if you're taking Cannonier, you're banking on Izzy just being sloppy and getting caught with something. Not that Cannonier's being that good. That's just the long and short of it, folks. And, you know, we'll see how the, how the fights play out. But to me, the most clear-cut fight of how it's playing out is Izzy versus Cannonier. I think just Izzy plays it at distance. If he sees an opening knockout Cannonier, yeah, okay. He'll he'll do it, but only if he can catch him with something at distance. 
and not rush into anything where Cannonier can open up on them. And that's just the way it goes. I just don't see Cannonier being able to get Izzy to the ground. It's just, it's, I, I, you know, I've seen too many Izzy fights. The way to beat him is, and Blahovic showed it, use your size and get, and get on top of him. Izzy at 185 is basically the biggest dude in the division. Uh, you know, Cannonier did fight at light heavyweight, so he could get that advantage on Izzy. He gets it to a clinch. Good luck getting it to a clinch with Izzy. I'm just saying. I don't see it happening. So that's all I got for you folks. Should be a, a long night of fights and have a good time. But uh, uh, best of luck to everyone and enjoy the fights and have a good evening. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all other major outlets.